Hi everyone and welcome to a brand new episode of the Legal Wolf podcast which was set up to raise awareness of and tackle the stigma surrounding mental health not only in the UK where I'm based but around the world. Today I'm delighted to be joined by Sabah who is a teacher who is passionate about mental health. Hi Sabah. Hi Stephen. So first of all just for the listeners would you be able to give a bit of background about you and also the reason that you're passionate about mental health? Sure. Um, So I have been a teacher now for six years and it's a funny story because I actually didn't know what I wanted to do in life. Um, So when I was in college, I picked my classes, which were um, physics, chemistry, maths and sociology. And as you can tell, I dropped all the sciences and I pursued sociology instead. And one of the main reasons why, believe it or not, I had a physics teacher who was autistic and he was vicious when it came to giving compliments. He could make 16 year olds cry. And I'm talking about the boys, not the girls. And he was also my form tutor and I kid you not, when we used to have obviously talks about careers and stuff, it was a bit nerve wracking. So the first year I said, oh, I'll probably become a pharmacist. I'm not sure. And he was just like, hmm, okay." But then the second year I said, no, I've decided I'm really passionate about it. I want to become a teacher. And this man who was known to not show emotions beamed the biggest smile I've ever seen. And he put his hands down and he said, I don't say this often, but I have to say you have the makings of being a teacher. When you're in a room, people stop and listen. This is why I've been giving you the news bulletin every morning, because I love the energy that you emit. It's so nice. And yes, 100%, you have to become a teacher. And it makes me emotional still, because he really kick-started my career and um I've literally just pursued it um recklessly (laughs) and ambitiously of course (laughs) since then and and now I'm here (laughs) okay and in terms of the knowledge that you've accumulated over the last 12 years in terms of your lived experience with mental health what what has your lived experience been like with mental health So um, I think from the past 12 years, um, both my lived experiences and then taking it further um, have really made who I am. So I'll talk about um, my lived experience first, um, if that's okay. Um, I unfortunately had a very traumatic childhood. Um, Something occurred at the age of five. And then again, when I was eight years old, and then Um, constantly when I was 14 till almost 18 and as you can imagine this detrimented my health extremely Um, and I was really unaware of how to deal with it uh, and or cope with it or express it because expression is what is needed to understand and validate what you're going through and being raised in a South Asian culture Um, and Middle Eastern culture you can imagine the um, the the stigma around it people don't know Um, my parents did try to help me to the best of their ability uh, and Mm -hmm. uh, you know they they just 
had no clue. So it was my dad who actually recommended that I go for therapy. And so um, I, at first I said no, because I literally yep. um, got a, a defensive and I said, you're calling me crazy. So that was me and my idea of what mental health was. Um, but then I started studying child psychology when I was 19, which further led to relationship psychology and taking it deeper. And then eventually I did uh, decide to go for therapy at the age of 21. And I went for three or four years and um, it really helped. And I was asking my therapist all of these questions about CBT, sorry, c cognitive um, therapy. And, um, you know, again, it really helped me to do um, therapy with a professional and also do my own self-study. And um, here I am now, just a really strong advocate, able to luckily advise others to a point where they can um, do and reflect what I do at the end of the day, say to them, this is just advice from my lived experiences, please yeah. seek professional help. Yeah, no, ab absolutely. And what have you learned over the years? Not, not to put you on the spot. No, that's okay. Yeah. Um. To be honest, I've learned that we are, we, you know, we are prisoners of our mind. Yeah. We we truly are prisoners of our mind, and we, our perception of life and everything stems from within our head, and when you refrain or say no you deprive yourself and you hurt yourself the most mm. and i feel that too often we still jeopardize our well-being because we're in denial that's what we do we yeah. deny what we're going through we try we're ashamed we're embarrassed which is still a form of denial so we hide it mm -hmm. rather than saying no i have to face this and also we tend to jeopardize our well-being for friends, family, partners, for a job, a career, when it's not worth it. Your mental health is not worth being jeopardized by anyone, because if you're not your 100% self, you're not going to be your 100% self in anything that you commit to, whether it's your love life or your work life. Mm -hmm. No, I absolutely agree. And the perception and being a prisoner of your own mind do you feel that our perception has changed with covid as to how we view like before covid we used to be living 100 mile an hour um we used to go on a load of holidays whereas now do you feel that we're more focused on ourselves yeah, COVID has forced us to to uh, sit with our thoughts, hasn't it? It's um, it's yeah. forced us to face our demons, as they say. So I feel I feel like that definitely, and it's been both good and bad um, because um, very close family and friends have had to go for therapy because of extreme depression. Some of them have been suicidal. However, others I know have also taken a very positive outlook on this and they've really improved and they've grown and they've become more aware. So yes, when we have external um, distractions, I call them, it's really difficult to sit down and face your fears because we, as, as horrible as this sounds, we are honestly the biggest um contributors towards our own ill being 
yep. to be honest. We are detrimental to ourselves. And it's very easy to blame external factors when in the bigger picture, it's us. It's us. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, one of the interesting things that you said is the word no. Now, I find the word no probably the hardest word to say. If someone asks me to do something, more often than not, it will be a yes. And I think that's just the inner insecurities, wanting to please people all of the time. So learning to say no Mm -hmm. is so crucial. But the one I think the one fear a lot of people have is that if you say no once, then they won't come to you again exactly yeah exactly and i mean obviously you've studied social sciences studying sociology and child psychology i mean what would the link be between child psychology social sciences and mental health they're all the same. They're all your so sociology says that we are we are products of our environment. So you have primary socialization and you have secondary socialization. So primary socialization comes from your immediate circle who who are in our immediate circle, our parents, our siblings. And child psychology says a lot of children suffer because of the way their parents treat them intentionally and unintentionally. So I'll give you an example. Um, So this is something that Harvard have said as well, that um, studies uh, on children in a variety of settings show that severe deprivation or neglect, as we call it in sociology and in schools, disrupts the way children's brains develop, process information, and they have the uh, increasing uh, risk of emotional, attentional, cognitive and behavioral disorders. And this is something that both sociology and child psychology are talking about. So you see that link, primary socialization, parenting. Direct yep. link there. Social sciences are all the same. They all sing the same hymn, but they just word it differently. And after 12 years of studying it that intensely, you'll see the links. You'll see them, you'll go, goodness gracious. Okay, so a child psychologist will say it in a much more, oh, the behavioral and the what happens to your brain in that moment. But soci- uh, um, sociology will say, oh, but it's these factors, the external factors that impact you. Whereas child psychology says, yes, the external factors impact you and how you process it is what detriments you in the long run. So they're all holding hands. All of these social sciences hold hands in unity. Okay. That, that's interesting. And I hate to come back to the subject of COVID, but it's got so okay. big. Yeah. The, the effect that COVID has had on children do you feel that that will essentially lead to a youth mental health pandemic? 
Yes, um, I read literally just two months ago, um, our government is now setting up a scheme where they're going to allocate um, money and grants for children who have suffered mentally, um, detrimentally wow. um, from uh, COVID. So 100%. I see it already. And as a teacher, I teach very young uh, children and I also teach my GCSE students as well. And you see it. Um, one of my um, close students who have been teaching for a very long time has mm -hmm. started to go for therapy because of it, just right. not being able to cope. So it's it's a weird time to live in for these children, isn't it? Especially, yeah. I mean, the GCSE um, students are very mature and they understand that it's COVID, but mm -hmm. they still are struggling to cope with it. Whereas really young children who are five, they don't understand they don't understand no. why they have to stay at home and why they have to uh, wear a mask, why they have to wash their hands constantly. You know, parents become very, um, you know, a bit too um, overwhelming with their children sometimes if the kids have touched something and like not mm -hmm. wash their hands because parents stress and panic and, you know, children inherit these type of behaviors. It's all learned behaviors. So they absorb what they're seeing from their parents anyway, even if they don't understand. And psychology, child psychology says the same things. Your children are sponges. They absorb everything that their parents do. So if, you're, if your parent is suffering from that depression or COVID anxiety, 100%, you're going to absorb it as well. Yeah. And I was talking to someone a few weeks ago who's a counsellor, a licensed counsellor in New York. Yeah, yeah. And they said to me that the increase in teenagers having OCD yeah. because of COVID, because they're constantly washing their hands to the point that their hands are so raw. Yeah, exactly. That, that they can't wash them anymore. Yeah. yeah. It's... I, I just wonder when these restrictions get lifted. Mm. And obviously over here in the UK, we're now starting to go through a transition. Mm, we are. Because when you go to a shopping centre now, you look and you think, what, there's actually people in here? There are shops open? I mean, yeah. it's, it's very strange. <laughs> who's going to cope? Not, not necessarily better, but who's going to adapt to the change the easiest? Is it going to be the children or is it going to be the adults? Probably the adults because we're more used to it. We've been through a lot more. We think about when you're in a specific job, you have to, you know, for a fact, you've got your job face on, haven't you? You're wearing yeah. your job mask, as I call it. Whereas children don't know how to do that because they are still, well, learning, aren't they? They're growing yeah. and they're becoming more aware. I, my biggest fear is honestly when COVID is over and we're back to normal our children will will take much longer to integrate back into normality and i'm not just i'm not just talking about school or their their life it's most importantly their mental um, well-being that is going yeah. to take the longest to try and understand and cope with this almost are we back to normal really seriously i don't remember my life before we uh, before corona yeah. Because it's that time where you 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 remember some, you don't. You know, I barely remember yeah. a lot of um, my time when I was fourteen, but everything when I was sixteen, I remember. So it all depends, doesn't it? So I mean, I 
I have um, a rare condition that has stemmed from traumas um, where you have selective memory, but some people have this naturally as well without trauma where they yeah. don't remember a lot of their, um, you know, their, um, that those stages um, of growing up, but they'll remember when they are around their adulthood, which is mm -hmm. 16, 18 ish. So, oh, okay. Yeah. And then in terms of mental health within religion, oh yeah, mm -hmm. there's obviously a taboo in certain yeah. religions. Yeah. How can we alter that to make it more acceptable? Or is it just a case of it is what it is and trying to change it would take a very long amount of time having studied religion religion for three years it was part of my degree and then continuously um looking into it now i don't think it's religion that necessarily stigmatizes it because in religion it says when you are grieving when you are feeling unwell seek guidance from God right and this is why yep. so many of us do pray and we believe because we have this hope that whatever pain we suffer is temporary and that in the afterlife we'll be rewarded you know eternal yep. bliss um yep. so religion itself is very much um mental health is part and parcel of who we are or or grieving or sorrow is part of who we are although it yep. doesn't dive deeply into mental health um, it still accepts it to some point. Now, it's the believe it or not, it's a, a philosopher once said, "I love religion but hate its followers," and I completely understand um, because it's the followers who who stigmatize, you know, mental health. And I mean, so often I have heard um, people associate someone who's bipolar. Or schizophrenic with being possessed by a demon and they need exorcism no they don't need exorcism they need medical assistance and they need a professional yep. that's what they need but no so many religions whether they are some people in hinduism islam from first experience definitely and even in um some catholicism as well because you've got some um here in andalusia i've came across quite a lot of catholics and even they have this belief and i'm like wow Wow. Yeah. So not only in, in Pakistan, you have it here in Spain as well. So um, I think Pakistan is a long, has a long way to go in terms of recognizing mental health um, as human. Yeah. Honestly, they still demonize it. Um, like I said to you, majority of the people still consider mental health um, to be a demon has possessed the body. Um, I know um, when uh, I lived in Pakistan, I many years ago six years I lived there um there was always an intense like reluctance from people to even go near someone who showed signs of mental health so yeah sometimes wow. you find someone talking to themselves or you know they might just rock back and forth or they might not even say anything they're just mute but mm -hmm. they come across like they might have a mental health problem they're immediately dubbed crazy and dangerous and stay away don't make eye contact with them. If you ignore them, they don't exist and they'll go away. That's still something that happens in Pakistan till this day. 
And in Spain, like I said to you, here in Andalusia, I can't talk about the north of Spain, but in the south, I yeah. I feel like it's the case as well. Um, believe it or not, a lot of people here in this region think black magic is still a, a thing. Um, so, wow. yeah, I know that black magic is still a thing in a lot of Hindu Um um, Hindu like I don't want to say religion but in the culture where they are predominantly Hindus um, and Muslims and Arabs and I think Spain on this side has been influenced by the Arabs which is why they also have yeah. this because Morocco's right next to us um, so they often believe that if something bad happens if someone starts acting crazy quote-unquote or out of the ordinary they will immediately dub them as oh someone's done black magic on you and what we have to do is we have to contact so the word in Urdu is pir it translates to roughly like a witch doctor so someone who has like herbal medicines or remedies or even sometimes like scriptures from um religious things sorry verses from like religious scriptures and stuff and yeah, rather than just taking them to a doctor or a therapist, you know, or a counselor, no, they don't want to, because if they do, then that's official. They must have, you know, they, there must be something wrong with them. And I think it's part and parcel of them also denying it, denying that mental health is yeah. a thing, rather than saying, no, it is a thing and we have to accept it, then much rather use any other excuse that they can find in the book than say, no, we have to we have to take this person to, to therapy. Yeah, and in terms of how it's perceived in the UK, because the listeners will have probably gathered that you don't have a Spanish accent. Oh yeah, sorry, I can't <laughs> fake a Spanish accent. I can. I look like a Spaniard because all of them do tend to say Gitana, which is gypsy <laughs> to me here in Spain. They're like, yeah, Gitana, I'm like, no, they're like, Go on. so they'll normally say in Spanish, um, uh, when we look at you, you look like a Gitana, but then when you speak, you sound like a Giri. Giri is a word for foreign. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm like, oh, that's it. Just give me another year in Spain. I promise I'll have a Spanish accent. I'll have foreign integrated. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I mean, how would you say mental health is perceived in England? I feel like we have come a long way since I was a child yeah. and I'll be very honest with you when I, I told you I started going to therapy at the age of 21 from the age of 19 onwards any boy that I was interested in um, and I told him that you know I would I want I was studying child psychology and I had some traumatic experiences they would just slowly and steadily back away and I'd never hear from them again. This is the truth. And obviously, when I started talking about therapy um, to a lot of people, um, I often found that my um, friends who were born and raised in the UK were actually quite nice about it. Um, but my friends who had um, Pakistani backgrounds or Indian backgrounds or, you know, these countries that I've spoken about, they would be yeah. a bit like question mark therapy. Why? You know, like they couldn't understand that it was normal. But my friends, because I went to a Catholic college, would be like, yeah, that's fine. It's absolutely fine. And they were very, very supportive. After my parents, they were like my my go-tos. And yep. so in England, it has improved. However, it 
st- frustrates me so much. Why has it not improved in our workplaces? Mm-hmm. Why has yep. it not improved in the workplace? So I had a job which was extremely, extremely demanding. And I am an educational professional. I'm not a business professional. I'm not a sales professional. But this job was very sales-based. And as you can imagine, someone who comes from education, I can't, I don't understand sales. No matter how much you try to teach me, it'll take me double the amount of time it'll take someone who has a sales background and my mental health detrimented. And rather than giving me the required support, I was then blamed for the lack of performance in that said sector or that said um, center. And I was managed out, believe it or not. I was managed out of the job rather than being given the correct support. And I obviously went to my doctor and I had to go um, for therapy again. My GP was like, we have to get you back to therapy and antidepressants. I've never, ever had antidepressants in my life. Um, But that that moment was so low for me. I needed it. It was so low Uh mentally for me. I desperately needed them. And so I had to just be with myself for two or three months honestly because of how they treated me I thought for an education center that promotes um, the growth mindset for children why are we not promoting mental health for the workers you you know and um, when I gained my strength again I left a really negative review and on Trustpilot and they deleted it they deleted it so I re-uploaded it and then I said the fact that they've deleted it is proof that what they did to yeah. me was out of the ordinary. And I'm so happy because after my review, many others from the same company started doing the same thing. So wow. can you can you believe that? It it, it worries me because uh-huh. teachers are, teachers need to be sane. You know, we need to be sane to be able to do a good job because if we're, like I told you before, children will still get mm-hmm. secondary socialization. We are secondary socialization. If we are full of anxiety, if we are grieving, if we are depressed, even if we don't show the children, children are very clever. They pick up on your body language yep. and they will absorb it. And this yep. is something that we need to reinforce, especially in the education sector still. Yes, and I also find it staggering that there's no mental health within the curriculum because surely you should have mental health in the curriculum and you start teaching at a young age. Obviously obviously make it age appropriate because the last thing you want to do is scare scare them off and give them the wrong impression. No, 100%. There doesn't seem to be anything on what is mental health. Yeah. How you can get support for mental health. Exactly. What constitutes a decline in mental health? What constitutes good mental health? Because good mental health can probably, I imagine, vary from individual to individual. Of course, of course. Um, But this isn't promoted. No, it's not taught. It's not taught. It's something that my sister said to me because um, my, so I'm the youngest of three. My middle sister um, always struggled to learn things quickly. And um, she said to me, I wish you were my teacher because 
all of my teachers used to shout at me and belittle me and they made me feel stupid and they used to call me dumb and I believed them but when you have a when you have a student you're so patient and calm and you teach them that no intelligence comes in all shapes and sizes and just because you don't understand it right now it doesn't mean you'll never understand it and um she shared this picture with me which said what i learned in school how to multiply what h2o stands for what i wish i learned in school importance of mental health mindfulness self-esteem reforming negative thoughts self-care emotional regulation and the importance of sleep these are all what was social um, all the things that us mental health advocates know and try to promote and this is what children are crying out for now because if their mental health isn't in the right place do you really think they're going to grow academically no way no. they won't they won't be able to learn how to multiply if you don't teach them how to regulate their emotions if they feel frustrated with that that's fine it's okay but just know that it's temporary because you're learning a new skill and a new skill is alien to you so vice versa yeah. and so many yeah. children suffer so many children suffer from this nowadays and they are our future they absolutely are and not every teacher is going to have your understanding of mental health. Yeah. Do we then need to educate the educators in order for them to then uh, teach the youth of today Absolutely. about mental health? 100%. Absolutely. Finland's been doing it for years. Why can't we? Finland has yeah. been doing this for years and we always look to the Finnish for their incredible system and they have been doing it for years and years and years. Why why haven't we adapted it yet? It truly frustrates me that we are still so old fashioned. We are so rigid in our ways. When we see the problem, we have the tools and the resources to resolve it, but yeah. we just refuse refuse to do it. And I absolutely agree with you that we need to educate the educators and it does come from a higher up person. It does. I have worked with teachers in in public and private schools and they all sing the same hymn. Sabah, my hands are tied. I'm not the one making the decisions here. I'm not the one making the calls. It has mm -hmm. to come from someone higher up. And who is it eventually? It's our Department of Education. The growth mindset was first introduced because we had a therapist in America adapting this and we saw with so much evidence how much this was improving the, the, the mind and health of young people. And now, only now, recently have we been told in our schools to implement the growth mindset. The growth mindset should have been there since day one. Why are we yeah. implementing it now after our children are completely, utterly, depressed they're being diagnosed with anxiety as young as the age of eight years old mm -hmm. that's not fair that's that's just cruel yeah it it is and we shouldn't have left it to get to this stage and we shouldn't 
have left it for such a serious health pandemic to kind of kick us into going down the right direction when it comes to mental health. Uh, I mean, in terms of ways that we can reduce the stigma, obviously there's education, which we've talked about. 100%, yeah. Do the film and TV industry have a role and also social media? 100%. I still, till this day, follow a lot of social media, YouTubers, influencers Mm -hmm. and stuff, mainly because even if their content isn't the best, when they open up and they show that they two don't have their life together always. So... I know so many YouTubers who have opened up about their abuse of um, drugs and alcohol. I also know so many YouTubers who've talked about the chronic depression they, they, that they've got from their chronic pains. And it shows you, oh my goodness, these people are real. They're human. They don't always have it together. I'm not saying that we are you know, applauding or we're happy when they're depressed. No, what we're saying is thank you for showing us that you too are like us, that you have the same problems that we do. Because if you look at Instagram, if you look at celebrities, they always show the glitz and glamour of their life. How often do do we see the downfall unless paparazzi leak it to us? Unless we get something leaked to us, we don't know. And there is, in showbiz, there is in movies and films and social media, this pressure to always look pretty, prim and perfect when it shouldn't be. They should be able to document their lives as real and raw as they want to so that we can learn that for every stormy day, there will always be sunshine it gives you hope. Yeah. It normalizes mental health because mental health isn't all doom and despair. It's actually learning to, to understand your doom and despair and rise to it and rise above it. Absolutely. And I think that is one of the main problems is that the media tends to promote the negative stories around Always. mental health. Yeah. And I suspect the reason for that is that good news doesn't sell, whereas bad news, you can sensationalise it, you can whack it on the front of a paper and it will sell. Yeah. Because bad bad news always does. Um, Feed off negativity, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. exactly. And in terms of mental health in films, what is the first film that comes to mind to you that addresses mental health either in a good way or a bad way i don't remember the name and i do apologize but you'll probably know it's with um robin williams when he's um a doctor and he ends up working in um um, the hospital with all of these patients and um he decides he tries to prior to this he tries to commit suicide as he, even though he is a doctor and um, he then finds, well, happiness taking care of patients and he ends mm-hmm. up 
um, even marrying, um, I think, one of the, the medical staff with him. It's based on a true story. It's actually based on a real person. And I love that wow. movie because it shows his negatives and it also shows the positives of mental health. And um, it shows diversity. It shows very briefly how um, people of different disorders, as we call them, see mm -hmm. and perceive life. And what if it's not a disorder? What if it's just another perspective on life? And we've classified it as yeah. a disorder because we have we have normalized the word normal. We have socialized, sorry, the word normal. And even in the movie, they say what is normal to one person might be crazy to another. And that's where he gets his ideas yeah. to help patients in really fun and fantastic ways, which are not normal in a hospital. And I love that movie for that reason. Yeah. Um, I can't think of the name of that film. I'll have to but... find it. I, tr I truly apologise. <laughs> no, no, that, that that's fine. Because isn't there another one? Or it might be the same one, but that it's Robin Williams and I think it's Robert De Niro. And he treats... I think he treats Robert De Niro as a patient and Robin Williams is the psychiatrist and that is supposed to be a good film as well unless that's, that's the same one. one that's it that's a different I think it might be now that you mentioned it oh you got me good Stephen <laughs> 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 I'm gonna check I have to sorry excuse me otherwise I will I will literally not be able to sleep tonight let me check <laughs> uh Awakenings is a different movie okay Awakenings is right. a different movie. The one that you're talking about is a different movie, but that is also incredible. I watched that one too. Okay. Yeah. And the word influencers. Yeah. It's obviously come about very recently, right. or it, it, it has to me anyway. Yeah. What's your view on influencers? Because my view on influencers is that they have such a big following that yeah. they could do so much towards normalizing the conversation around mental health yeah absolutely they are more powerful i feel sometimes than politicians yeah. i you're right and in the word influences has came has only come around since instagram has become recently popular so they hold a lot of power with what they say, with what they do. If people can go buy a top that an influencer was wearing, why won't they sit down and listen to these influencers talking about, you know, these necessary conversations? The problem with influencers most of the time is they get caught up in the count and by that I mean how many followers they have how many likes are they getting and for them they feel if they start showing quote-unquote negative things which mental health you still know is labeled as they will lose followers and counts what I often think is there should be collaborations between influencers and mental health platforms yeah. And that would be perfect because they would have been sponsored by a mental health association 
and vice versa so they know that their count will go up so it's a give and take situation but influencers yeah. don't know they have that option or they don't want to take that option which is unfortunate it is and in terms of social media i've always thought that social media is very much like a double-edged sword mm-hmm. yeah so there are two sides to everything but with social media the two sides are so polar opposites yeah, it's just ridiculous so yeah. i mean i i recently came off twitter because wasn't doing anything for me yeah. not really that interested in it mm-hmm. and it can get quite toxic yeah. on there yeah um but there is so much potential for social media um and essentially i wouldn't have met you i wouldn't have met 90 percent of my guests on this podcast if it wasn't for social media 100 percent. so why aren't people using it for what it can be which is a force for good and it can make social change and yet a lot of the focus in the press seems to be on um online bullying online trolling and you can call someone a name behind a keyboard and there's zero accountability yeah why do we focus on that side of social media more than on what what it can do for uh change for good exactly exactly no i completely agree with you um i recently remade twitter yeah okay but I decided that it wouldn't be to rant. People on Twitter love ranting. That's what they do. I often describe Twitter as screaming into the void, hoping no one re- replies. Literally, that's what people do on Twitter. We yep. don't. We literally use Twitter and social media to pent out our frustrations that we are reluctant to say in real life. That's the problem. And that's where all of the bullying comes from, where all of the the toxicness that you're referring to comes from is because in real life we have like it comes back to the saying no. If you realize it, it comes back to not being able to say no in person that you then get frustrated at yourself and take it out on social media because you don't see a face or a person or a personality or a human behind a screen. It's very easy. And that empathy goes. But when you're forced to be face to face with someone, it's real. And this is the problem that we have. But I completely agree with you. We can use social media for good if we reiterate that they are people. They are living, breathing beings behind that screen. And they Mm -hmm. have a history. They have life. They have experienced things. And they are there to share it with you not to to debate with you to share with you so even if someone has a different view it's a new perspective so they're sharing a new perspective with you and you should yeah. learn to accept it well you don't have to agree with it but acceptance means ah i understand that this is a new perspective or a different view from mine yes and i think that's where particularly on twitter particularly mm-hmm. on facebook mm-hmm that if you put something out there and someone doesn't agree with it, they will literally say they don't agree with it and they will try and 
force you in a way to accept that they're right and it's like well yeah exactly which exactly. is absolutely unfair. Social scientists have said for such a long time, if I've, if I've studied it properly, is that there is no one way to life. My ex is an incredible human being and a very intelligent human being to the point where even people from his university would seek advice, um, both personal and academic advice, people that he was close to and not. So you can imagine the impact that this man had. And he yeah. said something to me that still sticks with me, uh, with me till this day. The beauty of anything in life is you both can do it two ways, two different ways, and get the same results. Yep. We could both do things two completely different ways, but get the same results. So what does that mean? That means that there's no one way to life. There are thousands, and I believe billions, of ways to, to live and to do things and that's what we have to accept we're very tunnel minded right now that's the problem we need to learn to well broaden our horizons and become open-minded yeah no I, I would completely agree with that and finally I always like to finish on a fun question sure. and <laughs> this changes from episode to episode but if there was to be a film made about your life who would you want to play you oh i already know (laughs) i already know amal amal clooney george clooney okay right yeah i just i love her so much and um i just i am like i think i have a slight obsession with her (laughs) i'm just like when I went to when I went to Lake Como, people were like, "Some I didn't understand Italian at the time." But I went for my friend's wedding, and she posted on her her wedding blog like, "Oh, you might be able to see Amal Clooney um, because um, she's uh, my friend looks very similar to her." And a lot of American people were like, "So do you know where the villa is?" And I was like, "What villa?" They're like, "You know, Clooney's villa." And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> "I was like, pardon?" <laughs> but no, it was the biggest compliment of my life. But I do love her as a person. I do love who she is and how polite she is with the way she speaks about things and I feel like I yeah she's a great role role model um and she'd be just a great an absolute yeah honor to have her play me (laughs) in a movie so I'd be like it's just me now I'm just a Mark Looney guys (laughs) (laughs) that's just me now who I am (laughs) well it's it's been an absolute pleasure having you on and um, you're very welcome I'm sure the listeners will have taken a lot of insight from today's episode um and just thank you for agreeing to be a guest It's, it's been really good thank you for reaching out and um like I said before you're doing such a great job for such a great cause and I hope you get more and more viewers and listeners